Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Zinfandel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. Welcome everyone to this special episode all about Rías Baisas in Galicia, in northern Spain. We have a special guest with us today. It's Blanca Valencia. She's an accomplished chef and expert on the gastronomy and culture of Spain, as well as a food writer and author and host of the podcast Spice Packs. So this episode, Linda, is all about Rías Baisas, which is a wine region, a denomination of origin in the northwest of Spain, in the province of Galicia. Galicia. A part of Spain that we refer to as green Spain, because it really is very green. Um, this episode is sponsored by the CEO of Rias Baisas and by Give Wine a Future, our fabulous partner. Um, and what we're going to do here is we're going to talk about the terroir and get into a little bit about, you know, the climate, soil types, the subregions, and then get into the styles of wine that are being made in this region. We know predominantly it's all about Albarino. Albarino is king. Yeah. 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 I think over 95% of wines are made from, you know, the variety mm-hmm. Albarino. Which everybody loves. <laughs> Which everybody loves. It's such a trendy yeah. style. It's such a popular variety. We see it in all the restaurant wine lists. We see it in all the good retailers. And um, it's definitely a very well recognised uh, variety. And particularly in Ireland where we're based, Linda, because mm-hmm. um, I think we are the fourth largest export market for Albarino, which is an insane statistic given how small Ireland is. I might Ireland be is. responsible personally <laughs> for that. <laughs> yep. So... Um, so I'll kick off just talking a little bit about the weather. We're, we're also going to do, our guest is going to tell us a bit more about the culture of food and wine pairings. And I'm going to say why you need to go. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, great. No, absolutely. We'll bring Blanca in to tell us all about the ideal food pairings and a little bit about the culture and history of mm-hmm. the region because... Blanca is the That's expert on this. Yeah. Yeah. And also just to mention that myself and Blanca are currently working with D.O. Spices to help promote their wines in Ireland, the premium level wines in Ireland. So just to let everyone know that you'll see lots of consumer events and trade events um, for anybody working in the wine business in Ireland. We will hopefully be, um, you know, highlighting how special and exciting these wines can be. And I was there um, four years ago, just it was the last trip that I went on before the pandemic and um, it was it's stunning it's basically like Ireland but sunny yeah. and the most amazing wine and seafood you know that's it's yeah. just home from home for me like I just think it's a stunning place it is stunning now when you say it's sunny yes absolutely it can be sunny but just a, a note on, on weather which Cloudy. obviously <laughs> no well it, it this is an important factor when it comes to the wine making and the, and the grape growing there um, it's moderate temperatures all year round with sea mists and foggy conditions prevailing now when you compare the temperatures so to say the rest of Spain, just to give you an idea. Average high temperature, say in June, in the south of Spain, in Andalusia, would be around 30 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. And in Galicia, it's 23. And when you think that Belfast in June 
averages at 17. Okay. Like it's closer probably yeah, yeah, yeah. to Belfast yeah. temperatures than it is to, to Andalusia. And similarly, rainfall in June, um, just to give you an idea, in Andalusia, very little rainfall, 11 millimetres, um, compared with Galicia, 54. And Belfast, just to, to stay uh, using the same comparison, is 68. So again, much no. closer to... Yeah to um, conditions in Northern Ireland um, than to the south of Spain. So that's really interesting. And what that means in terms of, you know, the wines that are produced and, and, you know, viticulture and all of that is obviously heavy rainfall, almost three times the national average. Uh, Winds, frost, there can be hailstones, can make things very complicated. But it's those damp, humid conditions that create um, sort of the risk of fungal disease. And so mildews and things like that are an issue for grape growers and uh, frosts as well can be a big issue. So that means that um, being sort of certified organic or biodynamic can be quite difficult because, as we know, under organic grape growing, um, you know, you're, you're prohibited from using certain fungicides and that can complicate things for grape growers. OK, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the subregions in Rias Baisas. There are five of them. Two of them are sort of more coastal. Um, mm-hmm. One of those being Val de Salnes, which you will find, you know, right there. It's kind of the nearest known town would be Pontevedra. It's right there on the Atlantic Ocean. And then you have Orosal, which is a little bit f- farther south. So it's on the Portuguese border there where the river Minho, you know, divides Portugal from Spain. And then a little bit more inland, you have Sotomayor, Condado de Tea. And Ribeira do Uya, which is the most recent subregion mm-hmm. um, since 2000. And depending on where you are, because you have different soil types, different proximity to the river or the sea, which has a moderating effect on temperature and obviously a cooling effect on the grapes, mm-hmm. you have sort of different styles of Albarino and of wine in general. Um, yeah. Albarino is also Alvarino in Portugal, just so people know it's the same grape. That's correct. And I think that there's a little bit of a debate about you know, where, which is the real, the true origin of Albariño. Is it the Portuguese side or is it the Galicia in the Spanish side in Galicia? Um, mm. I think there were a little, there was a little bit of um, a debate around this. I think some people suspected that the monks, um, the Cistercian monks who came from France, I think in the 12th century or maybe later, um, that they brought Albariño with them. But that was since dispelled, I think. And um, according to what I read, Galicia and Spain is the true origin of Albariño. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure Portuguese people are shouting <laughs> at me right now. Um, OK, so again, just to, to kind of go through those subregions and the differences between them. Valdo Salnes would be considered the oldest wine growing region. Um, it's considered the original home of Albariño, which I just, as I just mentioned there. Um, it has the most wineries in the area and it's the coolest um, of the subregions. It's got rocky alluvial soils and um, sort of the landscape, l- low rolling hills um, um, and vineyards planted both on slopes and on flat valley floors. And the wines in this that come from this subregion tend to be very zesty in character, very citrusy. They have that kind of saline minerality all coming from that influence, that maritime influence of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, Orosal 
it's, it is also quite cool. It lies along the River Mino, located a little bit further south. Um, and and it tends to be a little that bit warmer. And uh, you'll find that the wines here, because of the proximity to Portugal, tend tend to be more sort of a lot more blends with um, varieties like Lourdes and Caño. Lourdes is is quite floral, so you might get again just like a more of a floral style coming from here. Um, maybe a little bit more body as well. Um, and then we, you know, you go in, you go inland, and you have. Uh, Sotomayor, I mentioned, it's light uh, sandy soils over granite. Um, Condado de Tea, quite mountainous. That's the driest. So again, you know, it's just that, that bit warmer, that bit drier. The, the wines will have a bit more body to them. And Ribeira de Uya, again, a little bit um, more inland and uh, but close to the Uya River or Ula, depending on what way you want to pronounce it, um, alluvial soils. So again, rich, richer, slightly richer styles. Grape varieties that are permitted. Stop me whenever you want to, Linda. No, I'm I'm actually, I like, obviously we did the same research for this and I am loving listening to you talking about it. Right, okay. Yeah, great. So go oh, away. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, that's not interesting. I just um, yeah. the Val de Salne is produces over sixty percent of the wines region. Yeah, yeah, which is like quite big, and obviously the newest area is only about three percent. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's definitely that's why we don't see too many. Yeah, and and why the Val de Salne is is would be more dominant in markets that you'd see. Exactly. Yeah, we'd yeah. see a lot more from it. Um, grape varieties, as I said, not over 95% of the wines are, are Alvarino, but you can also grow Lurero Blanca, Trechadura. People might might. I'm going to say Trechadura. that in, in English now. Yeah. Trexadura. Oh, right. Okay. Because okay, mm-hmm. that's how we say it. Okay. <laughs> say it for me again. Trechadura. No, Trexadura. Okay. Caño <laughs> <laughs> okay. mm. uh, Blanca, Torontes and Godello. So we know Toronto's and Godello is what they pronounce it in Ireland. So I'm just okay. Yeah, that's oh. what they Godello Godello. We'll do a little debate here. Tomato tomato. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we have red grapes are also permitted. Certain red grapes. No. Yes, I have had one Riesbeiches red wine yep. in Ireland. One. I've never tasted any. You did. Riesbeis. You did with me. I oh, did. I? Yeah. <laughs> with oh, wine did. Mason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. One and yeah. only one. Okay. So, Hopefully. So will I even mention the red varieties? Absolutely, yeah. because, you know, we, we aren't seeing them yet. I'm not sure exactly while we're working with the region. They may send over some reds for us to sample. But again, teeny tiny quantities so far. So it's going to be a while before they take off, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but yep. yes, obviously, Alberino is king. Yes, it is. But the red varieties that are permitted, Caño Tinto, Espadero, Lurera Tinta, Susan, very indigenous, very native red grape there. Mencia, which we know a little bit more yeah. from Bierzo. Um, Branquellao. And then Castañal and Dozal. I wouldn't expect anyone to recognise these no, varieties. No. I mean, I've rarely come across them. So, um, But it's, yeah. it's a new, re- like a new enough region. Do you know what I mean? The DO. So the, it's going to take time before we, we see them. Yeah. Absolutely. Soil, and so. look, a lot of these are just 
indigenous grape varieties making sort of, you know, small producers and yeah. make local wines and they're consumed locally. And yeah, it's really Albarino. It's about Albarino because it's a variety that's really conducive to, to growing in these cool maritime conditions and uh, making beautifully dry, crisp, refreshing, aromatic whites. And that's really what it's all about. And that is the style that, that consumers worldwide are really appreciating. Yeah. So, And the other thing is that I think, you know, some grapes come into fashion and that kind of thing. I think that Alberino is one of those grapes that it's a classic. You know, it's not named as like Sauvignon Chardonnay Riesling. But for me, you know, everybody knows Alberino. I definitely Everybody agree knows. with you because it stood the test of time already. I mean, yeah. it, it it was, you know, it kind of emerged yeah. and it, it just grew in popularity. And then you wondered, is this going to be a trend or is mm-hmm. it not? It certainly hasn't been yeah. a trend because, you know, to this day, we're still seeing huge sales of Alberino. It's so popular and I think it's, it's here to stay. OK, so a little bit about grape growing and sort of the, the the techniques they use in the vineyard. Um, vines are planted at a height and traditionally they were grown on what was called paral, which was um, a high wire trellis. So it was almost like a ceiling. Yes, when I, was in, when I was there, I have a few pictures that I'll share with anyone on our email list. I stand underneath them. Yeah. You have to put your hands in the air to reach them. So people stand on boxes to pick the grapes. Exactly, yeah. Now, the reason for that was twofold mm-hmm. traditionally. It was so that they could grow other crops on the land underneath. Very sustainable. And also because... Um, because of the incidence of fungal disease and the high risk of fungal disease that helped the air circulation around mm-hmm. the, the vines and helped keep them Just, disease free. Which makes so much sense, doesn't it, though? Do you know what I mean? Like in, in different regions, they have different ways of growing mm-hmm. Uh, grapes and bush vines and, and yes. you know it's amazing and they've just made sense to do them Well that it's way. all about adapting yeah, what are the, the climate, uh, you know yeah. how can we create the, the, the best conditions for the for the grapes to grow yeah. but now in saying that a lot of the producers are now moving to what's called double cordon training system or espaldera um, which is more wire trained at normal height because <laughs> I think to be honest logistically it, it's it's very laborious to try and pick grapes up at a height like yeah. that standing on crates Um so yeah, and it's it's still manageable. You can still manage the canopy of of the vine in such a way that you can decrease or minimise risk disease incidence of risk. Sorry, incidence of disease and and so on. So I think um, that's the norm now. Um, a few little stats: in 1975, there was only 200 hectares of Alberino vines, and now there are 4,093. Well, this was in 2021. Um, so 4,321. 4, oh, sorry. Thank you for that update. 4,321. Um, but very small individual plots, you know. There are 22,832 plots. Yeah. 22, that's a lot. Isn't that? That's a lot. Huge amount. Yeah. And there is 5,011 growers. Do and you know if there are many co-ops? There are, and there are 170 wineries. Yeah. So obviously, there's a, a very few co-ops. Yeah. Paco and Lola would be yeah one of the big ones there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. It means that people are very hands-on and they're really minding, mm-hmm. you know, the vines. It's for me when I was there. It was really a community-focused thing with the sea and the land. Do you know that fishermen were working together with the at the vineyards? It was just a really kind of friendly. I know. We're based in Ireland, but it was a real Irish kind of connection that I felt kind of yeah. 
warmed to the area and I felt really at home there. I'd happily move over now, to yeah, be honest with you. Even though, obviously, it's not, it's sunnier than Ireland, obviously, and it does rain. But when mm. I was there, it was perfect for mm-hmm. me. Do you know that yeah. way? I have to um, say, when I've been there, I've had, I've had both, um, you know, really beautiful you know, blue skies and just, you know, looking at the valleys. I was in Orense and there's a valley there and the, the river Mino that cuts through it and it's just oh stunning. And then I've been there where it's, it's it was raining more than it's ever rained in Ireland. <laughs> I thought, my God, I mean, we were driving and there was nothing but rain all around. I mean, I've just I've had both, but it's just, it's just such a beautiful and it's yeah. the culture there as well, which Blanca will get into mm-hmm. the food, the, you know, the gastronomic culture. The people yeah. are so warm. It's yeah. just a beautiful part of the country. So look, winemaking, and we'll get into that because we have a few Alvarinos in studio, which we are going to be tasting um, and talking about. But generally speaking, you have a range of winemaking techniques that influence the styles of Alvarino coming out of Rias Baisas. Um, You have, you know, fresh styles of Alvarino and aromatic and crisp that are just simply fermented in stainless steel and it's, you know, controlled temperatures and it's all about keeping those aromatics and keeping that freshness. Um, And then we have, and that purity of the fruit and of that, you know, saline minerality. Um, A lot of producers or some producers, and we'll taste one wine here with uh, that use wild yeast, Mm -hmm. Zambian yeasts, um, which is always really interesting. And I think it's it's always a lovely, you know, hands off way of making wine really express itself. I just, you know. I haven't tried that since last year. So that's uh, yeah. Um, Lees. So Lees, I think, is is really comes into a lot of the Alvarinos. I think nearly all of them that we'll be tasting today has some Lees ageing. And to me, I mean, it just adds texture which I think is such an important component to a wine Mm -hmm. Um, you can have a wine that's dry and crisp and refreshing and still have lovely texture and a silky mouthfeel and that's thanks to the wine spending some time on fine lees we'll talk about that as well and we have a few producers very premium producers who who do play a little bit around with ageing in amphora and ageing in oak barrels which really produces a very different style yeah. and a very interesting, complex, savoury style of Alvarino. So to me, what this says is Alvarino as a grape variety is very versatile and can really express itself in a number of ways, depending on the winemaking techniques that are employed. But um, for me, that just makes this variety so worthy, mm-hmm. you know, and um I would encourage people to really go out there and and taste different Alvarinos and and get a sense of um, the variety it can offer. Joining us today, we have very special guest, Blanca Valencia, accomplished chef and expert on the gastronomy and culture of Spain, as well as food writer and author and host of the podcast Spice Bags. You're very welcome, Blanca. We're delighted to have you here. Hola, chicas. How are you? <laughs> I love it. I'm so happy to be talking about Rías Baixas. I know. Such it's an great. exciting region. Yes, it is. And we've just talked about the terroir. We've talked a little bit about the winemaking, permitted grape varieties and all of that and its success on the in the export markets and for good reason. So I guess the next thing to do is to taste these beautiful uh, albariños that we have in studio and then for you, Blanca, to tell us a little bit about ideal food pairings. What kind of food do, do they eat in Rias Baixas with this wine and a um, little bit about the culture or anything else you want to yeah, add in terms want. of travel experiences there? And I just want to add a disclaimer for this episode that whoever is listening to this needs to go and pause it and go and buy themselves a bottle of Alberino <laughs> from Rias Baixas and pick up some little nibbles and uh, 
sit back and enjoy because I know you're going to get hungry after yeah, this. Absolutely. Well, cheers, okay. ladies. Cheers. cheers. So the first wine we are tasting here is the Serra da Estrel, Estrela. So this is, I mean, these words are all Galician, right? Yeah, it means um, the, hill, the hills of uh, stars. The hills of stars. Okay. So really, this is um, a fresh, fruity, aromatic style. It's had it comes from Orosal, which is the subregion we mentioned mm-hmm. before, just along the river Mino there at the, at the border border with Portugal. Um, it has had yeah stainless steel, cool fermentation or controlled fermentation, and uh, really designed to just be uh, a very sort of easy drinking, approachable style of Albarino. Yeah, this wine I actually used at a family event a couple of years ago because I knew it would be a really crowd pleasing style that everybody, no one's going to say, I don't like that or it's too oaky or anything. It just ticked the box for crowd pleasing style. Fresh, crisp, lovely acidity and just gorgeous, you know, Mm. ripe fruit, but just a lovely cleanness to it as well. Yeah, Um, quite pure on the nose. I mean, I'm smelling this and I feel like it's, you can tell that it's got a little, the temperature is a little bit warmer there because it's really ripe stone fruit there. It's really ripe kind of peachy notes uh, going on. And you kind of think, oh, you're tasting four Albarinos. Really? Are they not all going to be the same? 100% not. And you can really pick up the difference here that it is a bit more Mm -hmm. uh, warmer than... Yeah, and it's quite ripe on the palate, but as you said, it has enough crisp acidity there to just give it a lovely overall balanced profile. So that's a really, I mean, an easy drinking Albarino, but a really nice example of an approachable style of Albarino. So food-wise, Blanca, what do you see with sushi? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think like um, nothing too crazy, but yeah, like sushi that maybe not the fried, like, I don't know, just not the fried cream cheese variety that we see a lot recently I think you know there's like Brazilian places that do it just like a very plain uh, California roll or uh, the the egg custard that Mm -hmm. they have in in sushi I I don't know to me this I was immediately thought sushi Mm -hmm. and maki like a very casual Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if you got nice takeout from a restaurant, mm-hmm. you could have a bottle like this. Yeah, I, you see, I could drink this on its own as well, like in the garden for me. I, I wouldn't have to have food with this at all. Yeah, I think you could drink this one on its own, this particular example on mm-hmm. its own. Yeah. But I have to say, I agree with Blanca on sushi. And and I think a lot of the styles of Albarino that we're going to taste here would be brilliant with sushi. Yeah. I think yeah. sushi is a brilliant yeah. match for Albarino in general. Yeah. OK, so told you we'd be okay. getting hungry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, we have next the Pazo Señorans. Now, this is a really, I mean, this is a really top producer, really um, synonymous with quality. And um, here you're going to carry on that one. Brilliant. A few details on this one. This one comes from Valdo Salnes subregion that we mentioned earlier, which is right on the coast. So it really enjoys the maritime influence of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, this one has been fermented in stainless steel. Uh, I'm told it's 16 degrees to be precise, but it's had five months aging on the lees. And as we've talked about previously, Linda, aging on lees is 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 really brilliant because it adds texture to the wine and it gives it a lovely silky mouthfeel. And uh, I I love that so many producers of Albarino are lees aging. Yeah, there's so many producers in Rio Spices that are doing um, aging on the lees. So just adding that little bit of complexity, because again, like the first wine, you know, purity of fruit, easy to drink, crisp and refreshing. Whereas, you know, with the lees, you get much more complexity, structure to the wine and again, better 
with food. So, um, yeah, let's give this a little whirl. So we're doing Coravan um, on these wines. So that's the apparatus that allows us to pour a glass without that's opening so the bottle. That's so fancy, the Coravan. I know, yeah. It's great. I've never seen it. I've wouldn't. never seen it oh, in action, outside have of it? restaurants. Oh, yeah. right. Well, I have never seen it in a podcast studio before. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as we I have said, to now, you know, if we're tasting wines, you know. I just could not survive without my caravan. I would be in big trouble. I've been trying to taste as now, many wines. Now, isn't that distinctively different on the nose, isn't it? It's very different, yeah. I can get the saline <sighs> yeah, note of this. Exactly what I was about to Got say. Got there before you. Yeah. <laughs> did. Salty. Yeah, definitely. It's so salty um, and it's got a bit of a blossom note. It's got a bit of a floral uh, component to it, I think. Um, I used this wine at a WSET level two um, tasting recently. Yeah. Um, and it was 2019, the vintage, and now we have 2021. Yeah. But again, it was still really, really fresh, a bit more complexity going on, but it showed really, mm-hmm. really well. Everyone yeah. loved it. So I got real on the nose, grapefruit sort of zestiness. I got sort of a white blossom note and nectarine. And then it's just that salty hit that I love. Yeah, the, the the lemon. I think in this one, I feel even though I no, don't know anything, I don't know. You lemon, absolutely like lemon, do. Lemony, yeah. Much more of a citrus burst Ooh, to that, yeah. whereas the first one was more tropical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And on the palate, it, the, the acidity is really mouth watering. Yeah, like my yeah. whole yeah. mouth is salivating right now. It's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, love that. Yeah. So that's. I mean, do you think that's more typical of the styles that they drink? In, you know, Vias Paisas and... It depends because, you know, if you go to restaurants, definitely, yeah. And, and you know, when you go around Beagle, um, there's a lot of... Actually, one of the most affordable uh, Michelin restaurants is in Beagle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you would see a lot of wines like this. But I think if you went to more casual places, you will see more mm-hmm. of the fresher styles. But to me, this one, um, I would say conservas. And everybody, you know, every article I read now, it's like about conservas, mm-hmm. like the new trend and this. And this is something that um, Galicia has been making for so many now, years. Hold, yeah. hold it there. First of all, explain conservas because conservas you know, are our fish listeners tins. might be familiar. Yeah, and which on its own doesn't sound all that appetizing. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but they're very so. There's many varieties of, of fish tins, but um, in this case, I'm talking about the seafood that is harvested in all the rias. So in all the rias baixas, so. Uh, Meaning Ria the de Noya, and, uh, Ria de Arosa, Ria de Vigo. So that, for example, Ria de Vigo has so many mussels. So to me, this is like a wine that would go with those pairings. And some yeah. of these tins are very expensive. So yeah. it's like a very fancy 30 euro tin of clams, for example. But I see this going with that. And I think it's because of that lemony touch. Yeah, the citrus. That I see. I, I, I t- taste this and I think lemon. And I think so. You you're yeah. like closing your eyes and you're picturing yourself Having, eating that there yeah. and that, so yeah. mm-hmm. translating it back. Okay, yeah. yeah. And it's very glamorous, you know. Like when people think of tins, they're like, "What?" No, <laughs> but it is it is something um, expensive and glamorous. There's also cheaper ones, but um, it's something a lot of fun. And you mm-hmm. have different like breads, and you have different. You know, you could make a little tartar of tomato and add it and different things but Gorgeous. it's fun and it's easy to make and you can do it really quickly if you have people over and if you do this you need to save your tins and keep them for Blanca because she collects them yeah <laughs> okay but I have a question how many of these conservas are reaching say markets like where we are now Ireland and where you know can you buy them so uh, Fallon and Burn uh, Vera Foods has a lovely Galician range 
Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of places. There's a company in Galway that does fish tins. It's mm-hmm. a Gannet fishmonger. So they're, they've become really popular. And mm. then of course there's Ortiz from the Basque Country, which also have a factory in Ria de Rosa. So um, they do um, mussels there. So I think they're very easy to find now. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit, you know, if you've never had it before, you think, wait, hold it's, on. It's it's kind of like stepping stone into it, really. Yeah. So again. We're hopefully going to be Blanca organising a few events for Ria's Bites. So hopefully for any consumer events, you may get the chance to see what they're like, etc. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, mm. I mean, you have this visual of, I see with you a big champagne bucket filled with ice and loads of conservatives yeah. in it. Mm. And then the Alberino around so it. So you like, get like a happy a, ice, like crushed ice and you put the tins on top and then you have your little like Very garnishes. Fancy. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's just something that you could do really quickly. You don't have to cook for three hours. Yeah, I love to see people's reaction when they taste them for the first time. I mean, when we went to TU, Blank and I, to do a little masterclass to, to the students over there in Galway, um, you Blank laid a <laughs> lovely array of the conservas and, you know, the students, especially younger generations, kind of looking at these, you know, the clams and the sardines and the They can be muscles. a bit scary when yeah, you look at them but first they loved time. it. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, excellent. It is a lot of mindset to get over because obviously, Galicia, you're used to it the whole time, whereas yeah. in Ireland, we're a bit narrow-minded mm. to things like that, so we just have to kind of open up to um, explore the, the food and gastronomy of different regions and embrace it, especially with the, the wines that are yeah. and ideal the fish, to pair yeah. with it. Yeah. The, yeah. Because it's like, it's instant fish. You know, you don't have to go and buy it, you don't have to cook it, you just open it and you eat it and you can make different kind of, there's a new trend, ceviche, which is marinated fish. So instead of ceviche, it's called camviche. So it's like clams and you add a little bit of lemon and chili and you make a fake ceviche in your tin. Nice. 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 Okay. So, well, in a moment, now, number three. In a moment, Blanca, I'm going to ask you to talk about your experiences in Galicia and the type of restaurants and the and the and the food there in general. But first, we're going to taste the Gran Bazan Albariño. I actually visited this winery. So did I. It was the first winery on our list of uh, many. I think about twelve and three days that we had to visit. And um, yeah. Ooh, it was the winemaker's first day on the job. He had come from... Chile. Chile. He's gorgeous, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay, so him. were you together there? No, no. I went with my family. Well, you have to tell us now. <laughs> was that a beautiful, about your beautiful, beautiful winery. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Um, yeah, it was amazing. So it was his very first day on the job when I arrived there. Okay. And he was thrown in the deep end with a group from... Well, I was the only Irish person. There was people from Estonia and Finland as well, food writers and sommeliers. And again, they'd be huge um, markets for Rias Bites as well in Estonia and Finland, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was it was amazing, like just. Um, OK, so is it all own vineyards there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And this this bodega is really interesting because the owner, the original owner um, of the bodega, started off doing conservas mm-hmm. so to me immediately oh, wow. i was fascinated Drawn so in. he learned a bus- his business by doing conservas first and then he applied all he all his entrepreneurial skills to wine okay so wow. Like, wow okay so just to to say from the outset this is also in valdo salnis okay so same region as the last one and um it's had six to the interesting thing about this particular one it's had six to eight hours of maceration 
which we you know we were talking about this before skin contact okay which is important because it's from the skins that it extracts um you know texture and um, you know, certain flavour compounds, which all lie beneath the, the surface of the skin. So we should expect to get additional complexity here and we should um, expect to get maybe um, a lot of texture here after six to eight hours on the skins. Additionally, it's had four to five months ageing on fine leaves. So definitely, I think the winemaker here is trying to enhance, you know, the mouthfeel. So let's give it a try. Well, on the note, so it's a little bit deeper in colour than the previous yeah. wine. Which would make sense, but again, still kind of pale lemon, if you were to describe the colour yeah. to the listener. On the nose. It's quite restrained on the nose. Yeah, yeah it's quite yeah. muted. Isn't time, it? Yeah. yeah. But so, I still pick up savoury notes on yeah. the nose. Herbaceousness rather than fruit coming through and mm. then on the palate. Again, you get that saline minerality mm. for sure. And I just get a little bit of a nuttiness, like an almond nuttiness to it. And quite mouth uh, watering as well. Savory, a little bit grapefruity here, mm. um, and the citrus lemon, like a, a squeeze of, of of. It's actually quite pithy. Oh, mm. isn't it? I like it a lot. You like it a lot. Mm. It's great. I mean, again, I can see this being just what you were talking about. I would Blanca. definitely food want wine. food with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah definitely, definitely want food with this. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, the length goes on, I think. Real citrusy finish. Very, very long. Oh, my God. Isn't yeah. it? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And again, that's what we've said before. Good quality wine is the length of finish with the wine, how long it lingers on your tongue. And this, it's really, really mm. the, the citrus lemon. Mm. Really long. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, OK, so Blanca, going back to Rias Paisas and the gastronomy there, I mean, really, what, what do they eat? Well, it's so varied, but um, it's a region that really capitalizes on everything they have from the sea, from, you know, cows, from veal. So it's a region that really eat everything. It's mm. it's fascinating. So you can find so many different dishes. So the really iconic dish is pulpo. Mm-hmm. So the Galician pulpo. I think, Linda, the first time <laughs> I met you, you were like, I, what? I have to eat that? <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's like never ever octopus in case people don't know what we're talking about here. Yeah, I'd never, um, well, I'd certainly never cooked it. I still haven't, I'll be honest. But do you remember we did a virtual tasting and we did, um, you did a, had a video of you doing cooking it. It's so simple. Yeah. um, To make it so delicious, so easy. Yeah. What way do they cook it, Blank? Explain that. So they boil it. Um, Some people hit it beforehand. I mean, I do it in a pressure (laughs) cooker. But, um, and, um, poor thing. (laughs) Wow. And it's served. So it's cooked, like, you know, boiled. And then, you know, you slice it with, you serve it with um, potatoes. So Mm. boiled potatoes. All cooked in the water where you cook the octopus. And then it's seasoned with sea salt and with pimenton, which is a paprika. So I do think for that type of dish, I think you need a wine like this. Yeah. Like, I think sometimes when you're having dishes that have pimenton, mm. if you're drinking a wine that's like, doesn't stand up to the challenge, it kind of mm. disappears. So I think this wine really would match with that dish. But that dish is super famous. But they also have... Um, Caldo gallego, and they eat these turnip leaves that they put in their caldo, and it's like caldo stock. Uh, yeah, mm, the broth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
it's it's a very different region. So this the fact that they eat the leaves, you know, of the turnips that makes it unique in Spain. Okay. And mm-hmm. and because it's bitter, I think also if you were having caldo and this, it it kind of you would have like some not contrast, mm. but it would be mm-hmm. similar to to this wine that you could find a commonality in in that mm-hmm. dish. So you, you could I would have this also with caldo. I I, I you yeah. know some people are like very like no red and white go with this, but I I've had this actually in Cambados. Um, with a wine similar to this and I loved it mm. so I think that's a fair point I mean it's about matching you know putting like with like but it's also about contrast you know mm-hmm. you have something very rich having something you know or very umami having you know something zippy that cuts through that so I can totally see that um, and I and I do get you know with Alvarino sometimes that citrusy you know element really kind of it, it almost it lends a bitter note to to the to the white mm. it kind of reminds me of you know the the fennel note at the end of a verdejo yeah. mm. um so that that you know it's 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 an added it's an added kind of dimension to it but i think that's what makes it such a good white and um i also think it's a brilliant alternative to so many styles out there that are you know you know quote unquote commercial you and know wishy washy and wishy washy <laughs> but people talk about you know sauvignon blanc um, and we know that Verdejo is a really brilliant alternative, but I would argue that Albariño is also mm. a really good alternative because it has that aromatic profile and a lot of them has that kind of herb, herbaceousness to them and citrusy element. It's a really good alternative to Gruner Veltliner. Um, yeah, I just, and we talked about the versatility of it, so it's, it's great on its own, with food. Yeah. So and the first two I would definitely have on their own. I could drink on yep. their own. This one definitely needs a little bit of, of, food. of food. I yeah. agree with that. Okay. Um, I was trying to remember how I used to, I'm sure my pronunciation is not perfect now, but um, how I used to say Rishbaishis. I can't remember how I used to say it, but it was like Rishbaxis. Seriously. And I don't think people in Ireland have a clue how to pronounce it. We should do a little, get people to send in them saying it. And we get a prize for the worst if it's worse than I could sound. <laughs> okay, <Linda. laughs> no, seriously, I'm so serious. Because you just uh, say it, say it there for me, ladies. Would you say? Yes, but I I don't speak Galician. Um, I don't speak the language of Galicia, so um, there's a lot of things that I would miss if 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 I was talking. Um, if I if I went to Vigo and I I heard people speaking, I wouldn't understand what they were saying. Mm. So that's, I think that's the thing with with wines. You need to remember that it's some regions of Spain don't speak Spanish. So yeah, when you're when you're saying Rias Baixas in Spanish, it would be Rias Bajas. Okay, there you go. Folks. And then hmm. the yeah. lower Rias, yeah, is what it means. Yeah, the Rias re- referring to the the estuaries, and the rivers. Okay, so we have we're going to have our fourth and final Albariño here. Mind you, there are lots and lots of others that are in all different price points that people can try and explore from your supermarket wines that are might be 10 or 12 euro all the way up to premium Albarinos from Rias Baixa. So definitely go and check. Make friends with your independent wine store and they'll bring you on a journey through all the sub-regions of the area as well and you'll try the different styles. But remembering that Val de Sanne would be the most common and Eau Rosal is what mm. you'd find on the Irish shelves because they would have the, the biggest production, I suppose. But um, And if you can get to visit the region, you have to. And definitely... Okay, so fourth and final wine is Gial Albarino. 
It is made by um, O'Brien's wine director, Lynn Coyle, who is a master of wine in conjunction with um, Lagar de Costa, which is a winery in the Val de Salnes that we've been talking about. So this is mm-hmm. our third wine from Val de Salnes. So we, again, we should expect that, that you know, this, the style of the coastal, uh, cool climate, uh, Albarino that we talked about earlier. Um, this one, hand-picked grapes, traditional pergolas, um, wild yeast fermentation. And this wine is unique insofar as it's been aged on lees in concrete egg for eight months. So, you know, significant period of time. And um, let's give it a try. Okay. OK, so on the nose here, we can we can get a certain level of complexity. I mean, it's really, you know, zesty and fresh and and aromatic. But it's also, you know, that you, underlying saline note. You absolutely get the salinity here as well. Oh yeah. So, um, mm. yeah, you said eight months in concrete egg, and you can really mm. get that texturally. Oh, it's really rich, and you know, it's almost it's full much bodied. drier. Than all the others, isn't it? Do it's you know, bone dry, yeah, yeah. But it's it's quite the sit like the citrus component is really succulent and mm. refreshing and juicy. It's really yeah, it's it's really zesty. It's beautiful. Well, it's unabashedly Albarino, I think, yeah. in its finest expression because it is. It's all about the citrus Ooh. and the mouthwatering acidity and the mineral minerality in this wine. It's just yeah, yeah, and, def- and combined texture. with that texture, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. A, a beautiful expression. And actually, Lynn's son does the artwork. That's right. Uh, on her wines as well. Isn't that it's lovely? It's a beautiful bottle. Yeah, I love really, that really blue. Yeah. Um, Read out the tasting note there at the back or just it's, the, the, it's the, the descriptors. Sorry. Yeah. It's Sonia and Lynn. Yeah. Really spacious. winemakers. Hand, firm, hand farmed, hand picked, wild ferment, lees aged, con- concrete, egg, concrete egg, Atlantic shoreline vineyard. Atlantic Shoreline Vineyard, I think, really you can just really pick that up, can't captures you? this wine. Yeah, um, it's thirteen percent, and the, the the label's beautiful as well. It's really like mm. just simple and clean, and just yeah, I really like that. The length is really long on mm. that. Now I know you'll both probably say that you definitely need food with that. I I I would happily drink that, even though it's a little bit more complex. I would definitely drink that on its own. I really. Sorry, like I don't. This. I don't really. I can't drink wine on its own at all. <laughs> You see, this is the thing. I keep saying people, you know, outside of Irish Irish people will just totally open a bottle and drink it. They do not need food. Whereas every other nationality yeah, yeah, yeah. tend to eat and drink food yeah. and wine together. Yeah. I find it, you know, sometimes when you have wine on Would the Would you not own, have a like, glass of wine? Like just cause, no? No, I'd have mm. it with something. Mm. Even if it's like an well, almond we or some, a jamon. We have, we or have some whatever. Yeah. But yeah. bear in mind in Spain, nobody would really have a glass of, yeah, and of anything on like its own. Yeah. You know. it's, like, it's so annoying. Yeah. I just, anyway. um, I was going to say something about the female um, wine producers that you have all over Galicia. Yeah. It's a, it's oh, a yeah. region well known. So to me, I know, I know the people behind the, the wine, but that complexity is kind of very female. And uh, because Galicia is a land where women inherited land because men left to go to America. And when I mean America, I mean Latin America. So there's a lot of female land ownership. Um, you know, the, the land is divided into small plots, but there's, I, I think, 50% of the land is owned, the agricultural land is owned by women. So it's that it, it's also nice to have these type of wines that are made by women because it is that long history of of ownership of land in, in Galicia, which is 
very, very interesting and very different to other regions of Spain mm. where you have big estates and they're owned by aristocrats or something like mm-hmm. that. That's really well said. Yeah. And I think this is a great example of, you know, great female winemakers that are leading the way. And I think another example from from Rias Baisas is Paula, uh, Paula Fandino, and she is the winemaker for Mar de Frades, which mm-hmm. is another, mm-hmm. to me, an excellent expression. Um mm-hmm. And she is quite a pioneer. I think she is the first to make sparkling wine, traditional method sparkling wine from Alvarino. I think she was the first winemaker to to make uh, Godello varietal wine from um, Al, uh, from Brias Baisas. And uh, and we know that her label, that that uh, that mm. blue bottle, and we mm. we've talked about the label of Mar de Frades before, where she has this um, thermosensitive label. A little boat appears when the wine is chilled enough mm. and at the right temperature and when it's not it disappears and yeah just just excellent innovation that bottle is so distinct so distinct yeah. but the I wine it, is yeah. excellent yeah. too and actually this wine kind of re- reminds me of that wine because it's that it's about that succulence and that you know the citrus hit and the salinity and and you know like this label here for the Gial Mar de Frades has the, the you know the waves crashing you know yeah. this is mm. the like artwork you, you look and at it and you want to eat you look at it away. and you know yeah. what it's going to Tastes like you know, mm-hmm. so um, hats off to the to, to the wonderful female winemakers of of Rias Baisas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Martin Kojaks is another you know very well established brand that would be seen you know one hundred percent all over Ireland. And I think there's a bit of a story here, Blanca. Is there? Well, Martin Kojaks <laughs> was a troubadour from um, Galicia, and there's um, he composed a lot of songs. So they took his name to name the bodega. But um, maybe three years ago, four years ago, they did an event in the Spanish Cultural Institute, Cervantes, and they brought uh, a medieval group. Um, so they brought um, a person called Vlad, who is, uh, he he presents a, a show on RTE Lyric. He has, a, he has a name that's a little bit Polish, so I can't remember it. But it was the most mind-blowing wine event I have ever been to because oh, yeah. that combination of, you know, tasting the wines and they presented a book about wine so there was an author presenting a book and then with that medieval music of Martin Kodak's oh, it was so beautiful wow um and it's it's that association um I, I watched this this Irish movie which is about doing the Camino by the sea mm-hmm. and at the end of that they play one of the ba- ba- ballads of of Martin Kodak so there it's it's Irish musicians would be very interested in wow. in the music. Of, okay, I didn't it's know It's the 10th century, yeah. Yeah, like this is what I find so fascinating because, okay, you're talking about Alberino, but there's so many tangents that you can go off on and yeah. explore and discover and, oh, I didn't know that. And you're saying that's one of the most exciting wine things you've yeah. been to. Mm. And it was a book launch with music and medieval. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is what I love about wine, the fact that you can just explore so many different cultures and maybe people might try conserve. Conservas. Conservas. Yeah. Conservas. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, from listening to this, get inspired, get a bottle of Alberino and try different things. And uh, it is great having two Spanish pals here to... Uh, to we're, we're not, none of us are from Galicia, but no. still, oh, we're, oh, we're actually, big fans. We're big fans. I, I actually, this was crazy. We I are. was at uh, my son, he's six. He had his first rugby blitz. I had to go because it was his first time doing a rugby blitz, right? And I was standing on the sideline, smiling and taking the odd photo, but I spoke to the lady beside me or any holidays planned and she said yeah I'm going with the family to two for two weeks to Galicia and I went what 
No way. And she said she's been numerous times and I was just so taken aback that it was like a holiday destination for her and her family. And she's like, don't tell anyone it's a hidden gem of a place. And I was just like, you know, she's like, and I said, it's like green Spain, you know, green Spain. It's like Ireland, but a bit of sunshine and the most amazing seafood and that. So Mm -hmm. again, if you want to travel there, it's a great destination. It's amazing. Really amazing. Yeah. I mean, even people from the south of Spain, when it's so hot there in they the summer months, there. they go up north. Yeah. And and now I think Ryanair has opened up a, a, a route to Asturias, yeah. right? Oh yeah, oh, which yeah. is another fantastic region, not not too far away. But um, yeah, it's definitely one to check out. Just one last word on something. Um, I suppose people are really familiar with the Camino. Yeah, and I know the two of you are working together on you know promoting the wines area spice has. Is there an element of the Camino that's incorporated? Is this a you know an important way of sort of you know highlighting the region, or is that something that you you bring into it at all? We're trying to bring that aspect into it because obviously Irish people are enamored Mad with the Camino. the Camino. Yeah, it is so uh, popular and it's so beautiful, and and of course you know the part of the Camino that is in Galicia. There's different parts, you know, the Portuguese, the Camino del Norte, Camino Frances. But um, I do wonder if that is what has brought Albariño also back to Ireland. Mm. I wonder if people who do the Camino yeah. and they end up in Santiago or they end up in any other city, maybe they're doing a different route, but um, they try this wine and then when they come back to Ireland, yeah, they want to be brought back to to Galicia definitely yeah. yeah because I haven't done the Camino but I, I know plenty of people who have and you know the, their story always talks about how at the end of their you know their mammoth trek each day they end up in an albergue somewhere having mm. gorgeous food and a bottle of wine every mm-hmm. single day to fortify themselves <laughs> Vino on the Camino yeah huh? Vino on the Camino so you could be right Blanca I think there's there's a great chance that that's the reason why um, the wine has, has filtered back but I mean I think every na- there's so many nationalities go on the Camino now yeah. and it is a really I think um, a, a good sort of promotional opportunity for yeah. the wines of ESY says you're putting yeah. your hand up there Linda. Um, just to finish on a did you know yeah go on let's do it okay so did you know that Santiago de Compostela is the final stop of the Camino de Santiago pilgrimage uh, route and it's alleged that the burial site of biblical apostle St. James is there yeah so that's what Santiago that means was, yeah, I know just did you know oh lovely and also and mm. also that again amazing time to visit the area um, Santiago is around July because on the 25th of July is St. James's Day mm-hmm. so there's festivals all over so it's party central amazing now to be busy yeah very very busy um, Blanca what's the name of the market uh, do you know? I know I'm putting it on. The I, I can't remember, but the, the, I, I have to say one one thing about that market is that even though Santiago has become really touristy mm. and it's it's just it's a very small city, so of course you can see a lot of tourists. The market is so authentic. It's unbelievable, and so many markets have become really just tourist hotspots, and they've. Ca- preserve the real essence of what that market was and my favorite thing they do is you can buy seafood and then go somewhere and back maybe two or three years ago you could get it cooked for like 10 euro and brought to you and that that to me that market is just 
That was my f- yeah. favourite like <clears throat> hour or hour or two we had you no, not my favourite I don't mean that they yeah. brought me over for a lovely trip I had an amazing time but just you know the way those pr- press trips, trips can be jam packed and I just had like an hour and a half of free time and I went there by myself and I had the most amazing seafood yeah. like, we were brought to amazing restaurants the whole time but that was just mm. I'm like keep it coming <laughs> and then like it's, these little yeah. glasses of wine and it yeah. was just stunning yeah. so it's a gorgeous solitude a solitude moment that you can have there mm. um, at that market it's that's enough of a reason to go really no no yeah. I'm like sorry that, yeah. food wine but it's and also stunning so reasonably yeah. cheap and a beautiful pic, pic, picturesque region it's stunning yeah, yeah. But if you're in, in Rias Baixas, if, I, I think it's a very family friendly, like sometimes people say like, oh, how do you bring your kids to all these wineries? I, I go more to see the winery or to see, you know, like what what a Pazo, a, like a Pazo is this estate in, in Gallego. It's called Pazo. In another place might be called Finca, Hacienda. Um, but um, the, the whole area, you know, especially Baldos Alnés and Cambados is just so, so beautiful. But to me, what really made it super interesting was having Vigo because Vigo's kind of in between all these different parts because Vigo is industrial and hip and it's a little bit like Seattle, but it's also mm-hmm. there's a part of Vigo that's very classic. So I love Vigo to me is one of the, my favorite Spanish cities. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I just loved mm-hmm. it. I just felt that it was authentic. People were super friendly. Um, I loved it. And the food, the, the like when we talk about quality you know for, quality, for it, yeah. it, it is I don't think there's very there's very few places that can beat that because now if you go to Madrid or something it's Madrid has become much more expensive but Beagle the freshness of the food all the wines all the bars the sea the Rias like it, it's it's stunning and <laughs> we really enjoyed it as a family to go there and and travel and we even brought my dad who's 82 so oh, wow oh. wow well, there's a recommend there's like, an I, I'm actually like can I get a flight when you know I actually yeah. just really feel like you know I think I think people might enjoy this episode yeah, I have to yeah. Say. thank you so much Blanca for yeah, joining us for so this much for me. special episode yeah. Yeah, yeah we're delighted with your insights yeah and uh, I'm just salivating I'm hungry now I know yeah. <laughs> right cheers, ladies. ladies cheers, cheers. thank you so what do you think We do these podcasts because we want you, our listeners, to know what's going on in the world of wine and be informed when it comes to your wine buying decisions. We always love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed to Wine, the long and the short of it yet, make sure you do that wherever you get your podcasts. Or reach out to us by email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Wine, the long and the short of it with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future.